You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you or your patients struggle with muscle cramps, spasms, soreness, or restless leg syndrome, you're going to want to hear about our non-opioid TheraWorks Relief. TheraWorks Relief is a clinically proven and published locally acting topical solution that prevents and relieves muscle cramps, spasms, and soreness in the legs and feet. In a research study including patients diagnosed with restless leg syndrome, TheraWorks Relief was shown to reduce symptoms commonly associated with accompanying RLS, including muscle cramps and spasms. Muscle cramps are reported as a side effect of hundreds of prescription medications, from intravenous iron sucrose and conjugated estrogens to statins and diuretics. By managing muscle cramps, TheraWorks Relief supports adherence, helping patients stay on important and often life-saving medications. TheraWorks Relief comes in an easy-to-use, fast-absorbing, non-greasy foam that can prevent muscle cramps and spasms with just a few simple applications a day. To learn more about TheraWorks Relief, go to theraworksrelief.com and click on the Healthcare Professional link. Welcome to Senior RX Radio, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Senior RX Radio is brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, the ASCP. ASCP is devoted to optimal medication management and improved healthcare outcomes for older adults. Learn more at our website, ASCP.com. Welcome to Senior RX Radio, brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists. We have a great topic to discuss today as the, the seasonal calendar moves from that summer to fall and there's kind of a rhythm in my mind that looks like education, restarting education as part of that transition. And I know many of us don't have that traditional going back to class, going back to school track. Um, I think it's a great time we can talk about education as it pertains to career development. And the senior care pharmacist obtaining your board certification in geriatrics is really in my mind the top of that list. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of bringing on a guest who has been at the forefront of the BCGP exam, Tom Clark, Senior Director of Special Projects with the Board of Pharmacy Specialists. Tom, thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to have you on. Let's kind of have you start with, you want to give a self-introduction and highlight those points in your career would be great. Sure. Well, first of all, Justin, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to be on the podcast. I uh, appreciate this um, chance to be with you and look forward to talking with you today. So, um, yeah, I um, uh, first of all grew up in uh, southern Illinois and near Carbondale and went to school at the University of Illinois College of Pharmacy at the Medical Center campus in Chicago and started out my career in hospital pharmacy primarily got involved in long-term care pharmacy around 1989, uh, became a vice president of consulting for a large long-term care pharmacy company, and then uh, moved to the Washington, D.C. area to work for the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists in 1994. So I was on staff with ASCP for quite a long time. Um, I started out as director of education and professional affairs and after a couple of years, we hired another pharmacist to handle education. And then I focused on professional affairs issues, uh, particularly state operations manual, uh, regulatory issues, and practice-related issues. And then uh, moved to become a director of policy and advocacy. So I added uh, lobbying and legislative issues right about the time the Medicare Part D uh, drug benefit was passed by Congress. So I was involved in implementation of the Medicare drug benefit, especially on the long-term care side of things, uh, which was a challenge since there wasn't much in the way of legislations. Um, 
in that. So uh, we worked with CMS uh, to get that implemented in, in long-term care. So I did that for several years and then moved to uh, director of clinical affairs, working for uh, initially for the ASCP foundation and then the foundation and ASCP and then uh, moved to the Commission for Certification in Geriatric Pharmacy as Executive Director. So we, um, we um, uh, of course, off, offered the BCGP credential through CCGP. Yeah, I think that's a great place for us to start is, is this talk about the BCGP. So if for someone that's not involved in the geriatric pharmacy world, can you kind of talk to us what is the BCGP and what does it mean for someone you know, to have those credentials as part of their name? Right. Well, um, BCGP is uh, the Board Certified Geriatric Pharmacist credential. And, of course, it started out as the CGP credential initially, uh, the, uh, the Certified Geriatric Pharmacist. And uh, that, that's what uh, CCGP offered. And... The credential is it's basically a board certification in geriatric pharmacy, so it involves passing a multiple choice uh, examination uh, to become uh, board certified. And becoming board certified is a way to uh, demonstrate that a pharmacist has knowledge and skills and expertise in geriatric pharmacy practice. So it's showing that you have above and beyond basic licensure, that you have specialized knowledge and expertise in geriatric pharmacy practice. And it's not specific to long-term care or state operations manual issues or nursing home consulting, but it's it's basically geriatric pharmacotherapy. So it's, it's geriatric pharmacy that could be as it's practiced in not only nursing home, but hospital, community pharmacy, ambulatory care. Uh, it really is not specific to any particular practice setting, but it's basically the care of older adults, and it can be really in any practice setting. So it's a very flexible credential in that respect. No, I think that's great to hear because I think when we often think about what a board certification geriatric pharmacist, I think our mind automatically goes to nursing homes and that work there. And certainly that dynamic of long-term care is evolving, but I'm glad you mentioned the other practices as well because, you know, if a pharmacist are touches as part of their regular day, a geriatric patient, you know, this certification can really go a long ways into making and providing that specialized care and demonstrating, you know, that expertise that pharmacist has. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, curious kind of how long has board certification been around in geriatrics? Well, it's a good question. Um, it's actually a tribute to uh, the late uh, Tim Webster, the former executive director of ASCP that he was the visionary who began to realize that baby boomers were eventually going to start turning 65. And uh, he knew that as an organization focused on long-term care that most of ASCP members' patients were geriatric. And he um, began to see that geriatrics would be a logical extension of ASCP's focus. And so he he is the one who um, uh, developed a vision for geriatric board certification and uh, began talking with the ASCP board of directors. And uh, the board of directors of ASCP uh, agreed and decided to uh, implement uh, a board certification program in geriatrics. So uh, back in the uh, mid-90s, the, um, 
the first examination for geriatric board certification was um, given in November of 1997, uh, and that was the uh, the first examination. So uh, it really was a, a vision of, uh, of ASCP, and they created the, the Commission for Certification in Geriatric Pharmacy to oversee the examination and, and gave CCGP an identity as a separate uh, 501c6 organization, a separate nonprofit uh, entity um, to oversee the, the examination and, uh, and the whole process so that there would be a separate entity to handle the examination. Yeah, I was curious, 1997, not significantly long ago, I'm sure for some people it's probably longer than others as they listen to this podcast here, but Talk about the launch since you're, you're involved or around at least part of that time. What did it look like as you started to introduce this certification geriatrics to, you know, sort of the pharmacy public? Mm-hmm. Well, it, there was a lot of excitement around the launch of the geriatric program. Uh, we had a lot of pioneers in pharmacy, uh, some real innovators who, who, um, who took the first examination. Uh, back in the fall of 97, as well as in uh, 98. Initially, the exam was given in conjunction with the ASCP annual and mid-year meetings. So we had the exam given at the mid-year meeting in 98, and then, of course, in uh, you know, the annual meeting in, uh, in 98 and so on. So initially, for a number of years, the exam was, it was a paper and pencil exam that was given twice a year uh, in the spring and fall. Uh, until it went to a computer-based exam uh, later on, but uh, it was it was um, it was an exciting time, and uh, ASCP did eventually you know develop um, uh, materials to help people prepare. I think for the the initial people who took it, they didn't really have a whole lot of uh, uh, materials ready for for those initial pioneers, but they ASCP did have some materials ready later on, and and the program did catch on. Uh, and had some slow and uh, but steady growth uh, over the years. So tell me a little bit then, Tom, about you know your executive directorship and your involvement as as you sort of grew this um, examination. Well, I uh, became executive director in uh, 2010. Initially, uh, half time uh, executive director, and and then half time I was working with. Um, with ASCP as a director of clinical affairs. And so I was doing, uh, uh, you know, cr- trying to juggle two, two, uh, two jobs there. And then um, until uh, April of 2012, when it really got to be where both jobs were kind of requiring full-time work. So we split it out and I became full-time executive director of CCGP in uh, about April of 2012. Uh, um, yeah, 2012. So since then, uh, I was full time with CCGP. So <clears throat> what we had to do, we had to do a number of things really once I got involved uh, because uh, there had not really been opportunity for a lot of uh, staff support uh, immediately prior to my involvement. And so the, the, the website had been, you know, kind of uh, needed some attention and needed some upgrading. Um, so there were some other issues that, you know, needed to be, have some work done. So there was some, there was kind of a to-do list, you know, by the time I got involved in it and there were some things that, that needed to be developed. So one of the things that, that happened was that, 
uh, BPS had recently become accredited by uh, the National Commission for Certifying Agencies, NCCA. And so there was, um, there was um, interest for, you know, CCGP to follow suit and also become accredited by NCCA. And of course, they have accreditation standards that have to be met in order to become accredited. There's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of hoops you have to jump through to do that. Uh, and that included some changes in bylaws that had to be made. We had to make, you know, make some changes in our bylaws and some changes in our, in our board structure and uh, various other things that had to be done and a lot of uh, policies and procedures that had to be you know, written and things like that. So uh, there was just a lot of work to be done. So you know, I, I, uh, I went to full-time, we applied, and, and we did get accredited by, by NCCA uh, as, you know, as BPS did. So, um, so there were there were a lot of uh, things that we did. We got our website, a lot of changes made to the website. Did a lot of other things to, um, to um, to get the organization in uh, in good shape. And I know ASCP and CCGP had a relationship. You know, I think up to this accreditation, and certainly the relationship continues. But like you mentioned before, this accreditation isn't just about consultant pharmacists, what efforts have you made to go out kind of beyond the ASCP membership and maybe more talk to general pharmacists? Right. Well, there's, uh, you know, there's, of course, ASCP created CCGP, and, and initially there was some uh, some structure structural issues with uh, the ASCP executive director on the CCGP board and an ASCP board member on the CCGP board and so on. And that, those were in order to get accredited by NCCA, one of the things that had to be done was, was creation of what they call kind of a firewall. We actually had to make the CCGP board more independent. And so we had to get the ASCP executive director off the board and the ASCP board member had to become a non-voting uh, kind of liaison member. Uh, and that's similar to the BPS uh, structure. BPS, of course, is not actually a separate organization. It's actually uh, part of APHA, but they do have a separate board, and they do have a non-voting uh, APHA board member on the BPS board. So we kind of followed the, the, the BPS model in terms of our structure, and that met the uh, NCCA standards. So that was one of the, one of the changes. But... Uh, what, but what we did, or what, one of the things that I did when I became executive director was I started trying to expand our uh, outreach of our, uh, you know, for our program for, to seek uh, geriatric pharmacists beyond just ASCP membership. And we started doing exhibits at the ASHP uh, mid-year clinical meeting and at the American Pharmacist Association annual meeting and the American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy annual meeting. They actually have a geriatric special interest group at AACP. And so uh, we started working with them. Uh, we, so we started doing some things to try to reach out to, um, you know, other organizations. I went to the ACCP meetings. They don't have an exhibit program, but I attended that meeting and I went to their geriatric special interest group. That's the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. So I began collaborating with, you know, a lot of pharmacy associations trying to, you know, reach out to other uh, groups to uh, increase our visibility and awareness with other pharmacy groups and to try to uh, you know, seek uh, geriatric pharmacists from a variety of uh, other practice settings and other organizations. You know, to make uh, to make our organization more more visible. Uh, 
So that was that was one of the things we tried to do. Not that we were trying to de-emphasize our relationship with ASCP. I mean, that was certainly still very important. Um, but we just wanted to, as I say, we just wanted to try to grow um, CCGP and uh, in- increase the the size of the organization and get more uh, more pharmacists involved in geriatrics. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, for those of us who have the, that certification, I think there is the kind of a sense of strength in numbers, um, if you will. So it's not just one society's credential, if you will. I mean, the more people that are involved in, in varying markets or varying places of practice, I think it just provides that much more um, emphasis and, and kind of hat hanging, if you will, on that certification as being a really important one to have. Um, so I kind of as a result of those um, outreach programs, did you see a lot of significant changes? Uh, we did see uh, a lot of growth. Um, yeah, so um, uh, we actually uh, almost uh, doubled the size of the program. Uh, when I became executive director in 2010, we had about 1,500 uh, certified geriatric pharmacists. And by 2015, we had almost 3,000. So. Um, so we had, uh, we, we experienced quite a bit of growth in about five years or so. Uh, we almost doubled the size of the program. So now some of that was because the job market for pharmacists was tightening. And so pharmacists were beginning to look at credentials as a way to differentiate themselves in the job market. They were looking for ways to, you know, get a better edge in the job market. So it, it wasn't just, and in fact, BPS was also experiencing a lot of growth at the same time. So it wasn't just us. Um, but I think those uh, marketing efforts certainly contributed to the growth and uh, people, you know, were certainly more aware of our program and uh, it, it certainly helped as people were looking for credentials are, you know, being visible and being out there uh, certainly helped us in terms of our growth as well. So, so yeah, it, it, I think it was very successful and very helpful to be out there. So we all know pretty recently, or maybe not everybody knows here because it's, it has been a little bit of uh, some time passed between, but beginning of 2017, CCGP merged with BPS. So tell us kind of how did that come about? Um, how did, kind of walk us through that process. I think a lot of us are curious of how that change was made. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there is a lot of interest in that. Of course, uh, we we have a uh, an annual uh, CCGP, um, uh, uh, or used to have an annual CCGP breakfast, and we're going to have that again this year at the uh, ASCP. And I bring this up because we went through all these details last, uh, in 2016, uh, and 2017, you know, we uh, at our annual breakfast meeting at the ASCP annual meeting, we have a BCGP breakfast at the ASCP annual meeting. We'll have one again this year, and uh, and we went through all this with slides and a presentation to our BCGPs at the meeting. Uh, but briefly, um, what we found, well, in, in uh, 2016. Uh, as I said, we had so much growth. One of the challenges we had as an organization is we had been, you know, such a small organization for such a long time that the growth began to create some problems for us. And in some ways, we were kind of a victim of our own success because our, we had started outgrowing our infrastructure. 
um, the the software that we were using, our, our database for tracking our uh, uh, geriatric pharmacist was not really designed as a as a certification software. Um, we were you know kind of adapting another software that uh, it kind of worked for us. Uh, when we were smaller, but as we were getting larger, we began to realize, you know, as with the growth that we had experienced and with the growth we were anticipating in the future, we had reached a point where if we were going to remain independent, we were going to need to invest in a, a, you know, much more expensive database program. We were going to need to upgrade our website because there were, you know, um, there were more expectations around privacy and security and, um, you know, especially doing online transactions. There were some, some more standards that were coming out. And then at the same time, NCCA, we were accredited by them, but they were starting to raise the bar on their accreditation standards, and there were more expectations around accredited organizations. And so we were looking at, you know, to remain independent, you know, having to do some significant investments um, and at the same time, to do all that stuff, we, it's not like we had a pot of money in the bank. At the, you know, we actually had a loan that we were still paying off to ASCP. Uh, so, you know, we were, you know, we were in a situation where we were essentially functioning the same way BPS was. We were basically duplicating everything BPS was doing, except we had one exam uh, one program, they had eight exams and eight programs and a much, much larger organization um, to spread those costs over. And, you know, so we, you know, our board had to start taking a hard look at, you know, does this make sense for us to spend a ton of money, you know, to try to function as a single exam, you know, small program or does it make more sense to try to merge? So, you know, one of the things we did was we sought input from our CGPs and we did a survey monkey and we asked them, you know, what are your views of BPS and uh, your views of your credential? And uh, one, of the, one of the questions we asked was, you know, which would you prefer, you know, instead of having the CGP credential, would you prefer to have your credential with a B in front of it, BCGP, the way the BPS credentials all start with the letter B? And we found that two-thirds of our CGPs would prefer to have BCGP instead of CGP as a credential. And we also found when we asked them, would you prefer that, that CGP collaborate or CCGP, would you prefer that we collaborate with BPS and bring the CGP credential under the BPS umbrella, two thirds of our CGPs were in favor of us doing that. Uh, so it was just very strong support for, you know, doing a collaboration with BPS. So uh, in view of all of those factors, the, the BPS uh, Board of Commissioners felt that it was in the best interest of our, of our certified geriatric pharmacist that we, you know, talk to BPS about the possibility of uh, collaborating basically ended up, you know, ending up merging with them and just moving the, the certification in geriatrics exam under the BPS umbrella. <laughs> And by all accounts, kind of on the outside looking in anyway, I'm sure maybe you can give us some more accounts of the inside details, but, you know, it looked like it was just a really kind of a really nice way for that to occur. Um, and I think, you know, sort of the temperature of the CGP 
was was just what you just mentioned there was you know having that certification together it made a lot of sense i know one of the changes that happened was around the examination because that's that's what i heard a lot about or even did some you know looking into myself talk to us about how the examination changed a little bit Sure. Well, and of course, that's one of the that's one of the big changes that uh, that resulted um, because our exams were different. Um, of course, all of the BPS exams, as I said, they had eight at the time. They had eight, uh, and now they're they're up to I think eleven. Uh, but uh, but all of their exams uh, follow the same format. All of their exams are one hundred and seventy five items, uh, and they're all well. Uh, I won't. I won't say all, but most of most of their items are uh, four option multiple choice. Now BPS is starting to experiment with alternative item types. So in the future, we're going to see more um, items that are non multiple choice items, and you may see some drag and drop, or you may see some uh, matching, or you may see some items that are you know different than multiple choice because what we find is depending upon the subject matter uh, there's there's going to be some content that's uh, where multiple choice may not be the best way to test knowledge um, so I think in the future you know you'll see uh, some of the exams starting to incorporate um, some and and probably they're all going to continue to have some multiple choice, but you may see some alternative item types showing up on some of the exams in the future. So, in fact, we've we've already started to use some alternative item types on on one or two of the exams, uh, but you'll see more of that in the future. But in any event, as I say right now, geriatrics is, is still all multiple choice, um, and in. It is uh, on the on the CCGP exams. It was all multiple choice. Uh, the BPS exam right now is still all multiple choice in geriatrics, um, but it's 175 items. We ours was 150 items, and uh, the BPS exams, the multiple choice items are four option multiple choice. Um, the uh, CCGP. We had switched, we used to use a four option multiple choice and we had switched to a three option multiple choice at the recommendation of our test provider. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, at the, at the time of the merger, we were using a three option multiple choice. Um, so, uh, and the other thing was we, um, Every five years, uh, CCGP and, and BPS as well, uh, we do what's called a, a job analysis or a role delineation study. And so <clears throat> that's considered good practice to uh, evaluate the, uh, the occupation or the profession that's being tested for any changes in practice. So the, the content map or the content outline for the examination is uh, developed through the the job analysis and we were due to conduct a job analysis in 2017 that was the year that our regular job analysis was due to be done and uh, and so we we went ahead and did that in 2017 so in 2018 that was the year that our exam switched from the old format the CCGP format to the new BPS format. Uh, and so it, it went to the 175 item, four option multiple choice, and we actually implemented the new content outline in 2018. So 
uh, it, it, the, the new, the 2018 exam had a new content outline. So we had all those changes happening at once in 2018, whereas the 2017 exam, it was, was the same, same basic exam type that had been used for the previous uh, four years. But 2017 was the year of the merger. That was kind of the, um, um, the, the, um, the merger year because 2017, the beginning of 2017 is when the merger actually happened. Even though uh, 2017, we were using the CGP exam, but it was under the BPS umbrella in 2017. So, um, so we had, and of course people knew that in 2018, we were going to be switching to the new exam. So, um, so what, what happened was, uh, when we, when we moved to, um, to BPS at the end of 2016, we had 3,189, uh, board certified geriatric pharmacists. So roughly 3,200, uh, we had. 2,000 people who signed up to take the geriatric exam in 2017. And um, so there were, were 2,000 new applicants in 2017. And that's compared to in 2016, the year before the merger, we had 600 new applicants. So we had more than three times as many new applicants uh, in 2017. So a lot of people were trying to get in under the wire, uh, you know, before the, uh, before the test changed. Uh, in uh, taking it, they wanted to take it in uh, 2017. So we had 1,200 people take the exam in that uh, October, November 2017, that fall test window in 2017. 1,200 pharmacists took the geriatric exam just in that, uh, in that one test cycle. So by the end of 2017, at the end of the merger year, the number of uh, board certified geriatric pharmacists, those who passed the exam, had gone from about, as I said, about 3,200 at the end of 2016, we had gone up to almost 4,500 at the end of 2017. So it was 4,471. So uh, that was uh, about 40% growth in the number of geriatric pharmacists just in one year. Oh, that's so, incredible. Yeah. It really speaks to sort of the power of that merger coming together. So obviously exciting times around your office, I can imagine. What do you think the future looks like for the certification program going forward? Well, clearly, I, th I think the future is very uh, bright uh, for the program. Um, now, when you see a huge spike like that, typically what you see following the spike is a slump, uh, you know, or at least a temporary slump, because obviously everybody who was even thinking about it is, you know, trying to get in under the wire. So after the, and, and we've seen, this year, the number of people who have applied for the exam, and we've passed our, our, our deadline to apply for the fall exam now. So we're back down to just under the, the 600 mark, you know, for 2018. So we're back down to, you know, kind of our, our pre-merger level for this year. Uh, but, you know, we, we had more than three times as many last year. So I, I, that was to be expected that this year would be kind of a slump year. But starting next year, I'm, I'm expecting the numbers will start climbing again and we'll, we'll go back up, you know, way above where we were before, <clears throat> before the merger. Uh, but certainly the future in geriatric uh, board certification is going to be very bright because obviously the number of uh, baby boomers aging, the, the aging of the population is just projected to, you know, continue to grow exponentially. 
uh, and uh, we, uh, for, you know, for two reasons, the, the number of older adults is growing and, and, and the geriatric credential is so flexible, it can be used, as I said earlier, in, in just about any practice setting. So unlike, uh, for example, the ambulatory care credential is, is, is focused on one particular practice setting or the cardiology credential is focused on one particular, you know, disease or, or, or organ system. Uh, and if you change your, your focus, if you move from ambulatory care to inpatient, or if you move from cardiology to renal, uh, you know, that, that credential doesn't necessarily follow you to your new interest or your new area. But geriatrics is something that, you know, as I say, it's very flexible and older adults are pretty much everywhere. So it, it's a very, um, it's a very flexible credential. It's one that's uh, you know not likely to to become obsolete because older adults we're going to uh, pretty much have with us for quite some time to come. So if I'm a community pharmacist right now, or hospital pharmacist, or you know kind of pick pick your area of practice here, and I notice that a lot of my patients are that geriatric population, or you know I kind of think in the future that I see a lot of my patients are going to be in the geriatric population. If I want to learn more about this exam, because I'm interested in, in that personal growth and I, and I want to make myself you know, more marketable in the job um, market, if you will, where would I go to learn more, Tom? Sure. That's a great question. Um, and um, I, I would say as far as the exam itself goes, uh, learning about the exam or preparing for the exam, um, I would highly recommend people look at a couple of things. One is the candidate guide, which is on the BPS website. And the candidate guide is, uh, contains a lot of information about the exam itself and just preparing for the exam and the, and the, you know, the guidelines for the exam um, and uh, just general information. But uh, for geriatrics and really for any of the BPS exams, there are content outlines for all of the exams also on the BPS website. So if you're interested in geriatrics, um, look at the content outline, especially because, as I said, the, uh, the content outline has changed recently. And um, <clears throat> so you want to be uh, familiar with the, the new or the current content outline in order to study or to prepare for the exam, you want to take a, be sure to look at that and to be sure that you're familiar with the subject areas in that content outline. And then thirdly, uh, you may want to consider a review course or a preparatory course. Uh, it's not certainly not required, uh, it's not necessary. It's really up to each individual person to evaluate their background, their needs, um, and what they think, you know, will be best to help them prepare based on, you know, their particular practice setting or their particular needs. And, you know, we find, or, you know, personally, I think people who have worked primarily in community pharmacy may especially benefit from a prep course just from the perspective of getting a better understanding of like laboratory values and assessment because in a, in a community setting, you're not typically looking at uh, charts and, um, you know, you're not looking at lab values and that kind of thing on a regular basis. So if you haven't done that for a while, it may be helpful to, you know, to do some, some case studies and, um, and, and maybe a prep course or, or some kind of a setting where you can do that kind of thing would be helpful. Um, so that would be, that would be uh, uh, something to consider. 
Tom, I really appreciate your time today. And I can certainly tell you as someone who, who has the credentials um, and certainly being around a team of people who have also worked through that credentialing process as well, not only does it make you more of a competent pharmacist that you learn, obviously, as you prepare for the examination, but I've seen it make you people a more confident pharmacist as well. And I think that goes a lot to really providing that excellent pharmaceutical care we're all trying to, you know, bring to our patient population. So I just really appreciate your time today. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. And of course, I'm, I'm going to assume BCG breakfast, you're going to be at the annual meeting. So people can catch up with you uh, there as well, correct? That's correct. BPS will have an exhibit booth at the ASCP annual meeting and I will be there and uh, look forward to talking to anyone. I'd be happy to answer questions uh, anybody has. Uh, so catch me at the annual meeting. Uh, and I'll be happy to talk with anyone about uh, about the geriatric exam or any of the BPS exams. Fantastic. Thank you so much again, Tom. This has been Senior Rx Radio brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists. And by the time this comes out, we'll be looking forward to seeing everyone annual meeting time. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Thanks for listening to Senior Rx Radio. Be sure to share this podcast with your fellow consultant pharmacists and pharmacy associates to learn more about better outcomes for older adult patients. Join us on the web at ASCP.com.